0: Welcome back to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I have a little bit of different format today. I am joined in person for the first time in about six months with a couple friends, Sarah Boston, who's a financial planner at Bookins Financial, and Raymond James advisor, Karen Coyne we are friends. We got to know each other over the years, especially through the Raymond James Women's Network. We've all served on the Women's Advisors Council, which was countless hours of volunteering and just pure fun. And, you know, collectively, we have more than 60 years of experience working with people on financial advice. And most of the time when we get together, frankly, we're just having fun and, you know, kind of, appreciating each other as business owners sharing and and being a shoulder to lean on. But we've been talking about a podcast episode probably for months, months. months. Yeah. So Karen, hi, welcome. Hi, thank you. And Sarah, welcome. Thank you. We're all podcast hosts, actually. Karen (laughs) and I both have podcasts. What's the name of your podcast, Karen?
1: Uh,
2: Fresh Off the Vine.
0: Fresh Off the Vine. We'll make sure to link to that in show notes. And Sarah's is coming out shortly and it is...
2: Come to the table.
0: Come to the table. We'll make sure that you have a link for that too. But we have talked a lot during the pandemic, so much so that we planned this virtual conference pod where we're attending a virtual conference this week, but we decided to get together because it has just been a long time, a long lonely venture, I guess you could say. But during the time on our many virtual walks with each other, we talked about co-hosting a podcast episode or at me having you on as guests to talk about elements of successful investing, really what we saw from clients who did the best and had the best outcome and results with their money, what we saw, what were, what were common characteristics. And so I thought that would be fascinating to kind of lay down and put down on tape, because I think there's probably a lot of similarities between what we're seeing with clients. How did you feel about that topic, Karen?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I actually was thinking about doing it myself and I just generously volunteered it so that we could
0: discuss it together. You're such a giver. <laughs> I'm so You're giving. giving. Got one. <laughs> Cheers to you, Karen. Cheers, to Karen. <laughs>
1: Cheers, ladies.
0: Thank you for your generosity.
1: Hey, I am a giver. So um, no, I love this topic because I think it's something we don't talk about a lot with our clients, right? We're talking about all the other stuff. We don't, it's not something we would do, sit down and say, hey, by the way, here's all these characteristics that I've observed over the years of successful clients. But there are a couple that come to mind for me. One of them is being in action. I talk about this a lot. And what I mean by that is, uh, for example, within the past year, there was a couple I had a meeting with, we covered, well, actually, so what what happened was we scheduled this meeting and I knew it was going to be a hearty meeting. We had a lot of planning items to cover and they had called or emailed and talked to one of my assistants and had said, we have this, you know, engagement afterwards. And so we're only going to have this much time. Is that okay? Or can we reschedule? And I said, no, that's good. We'll make it work. We'll make it a crisp 60 minute meeting. And here's the thing. They came to the meeting, they were prepared they had information ready, they had questions ready. They had you know looked over some items I had sent them. And within 30 days after the meeting, they had already knocked off like 50% of the to-do items. I was just floored because for a lot of people, number one, to get accomplished what we got accomplished in that one meeting was uh, you know, you just you can't accomplish that unless you've done some of the work maybe ahead of time. or you come to the table, You know, engaged. So they do that regularly and then they're in action, right? So they're following up after the meeting when I outlined, okay, here's next steps, you know, and then I hear from one, okay, well, we've done this, check. I hear from the other spouse, this is done, check. That brings me so much joy because we can give all the great advice in the world, but if it falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, what good does that do? So for me, being in action is a really critical element.
0: I hear within that the ability to be decisive. So, so often, the action that people think they can dwell upon is just being kind of in a circular pattern, circling around decisions. And so you're describing clients that uh, I'm sure they're thoughtful about what they're doing. Yes. But they're willing, they're willing to get past that thought stage into a decision-making.
1: Stage. Absolutely. I agree. And if we were doing a podcast and what are the characteristics of unsuccessful clients, it would be indecision and not being like, not being able to make a decision.
0: Sarah, have you seen those clients the action versus inaction, you know, kind of phase?
2: Absolutely. And to piggyback on what Karen has said, the three of us did a two hour tennis lesson uh, this week <laughs> yes. and tennis was new to Melissa and myself. Karen's been playing for several years, but the thing that keeps ringing in my head that our tennis instructor tells us is that as you approach the ball, be prepared that when you're not prepared in your approach, then your decision-making is maybe disjointed and the follow through Um, won't happen. And so I think about that in our financial planning client relationships. Yes, the people who come with the list of documents, I want to update your financial planning because that is the tool that helps us make decisions and the more prepared that they are. But I really, for me, that also correlates with engagement and that's always big for me is I want to work with clients who are engaged in the process and see value in the financial planning process. And I think those clients ultimately are more successful. It's not coming from a place of judgment or fear. It is coming from a place of they see the value in financial decision-making, evaluating those different decisions, and then taking the action And it gets really exciting. It's really exciting when you get an email from a client that says, hey, I checked these off the list. And then we get to celebrate in that success.
0: I think it's okay to have that anxiety and fear. Because I see that so often people or sometimes use the word financial shame. But you have to be comfortable of acknowledging it. And maybe that's good in the beginning of a meeting. If you are that person who just doesn't think you're cutting it yet with your money decisions, acknowledge it upfront. I love it when I hear that from clients because then we, or especially new people I'm working with who haven't, you know, kind of gone through the process, then we can lay that out and say, okay, can we put that to the side? Let's get to work. Then we can revisit and see how you're feeling after, because often the process of financial planning creates elements of control that allow for that engagement, as well as hopefully will reduce that fear or anxiety over time.
2: Well, one of the reasons I loved the topic of this podcast in particular is because if you go do a Google search of how to find a financial advisor, the advice that you typically get is not how to have a relationship with a financial advisor? How to come prepared? How to come even with some fears and anxiety, and and have those comforted to move forward? And so, great idea, Melissa. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so many of the things that we hear and see about what is success, we probably don't even think about it. It's, it's unconscious for us to kind of observe those patterns of behavior, right? You see it so often, but it's not like people present themselves as these are the elements of a great investor. So they they're quiet signals, I think, in many cases. So it's not like you can go just buy a textbook and say, okay, I'm gonna check this off my list and do that. Right. Um, and that's one of the things I was thinking about when I, I thought about the elements of a successful investor is you need to be willing to be patient or sometimes a bit of a procrastinator when it comes to big expenditures or big pivots in life. And I can think of so many examples, like you, um, are young or you get into a new job and you're immediately like, I don't like it day one. It wasn't fun. And so you're out of there and you're, you know, constantly changing, or you make a big purchase of a home. And immediately you're like, well, I, that kitchen just is not going to work for me, which, you know, my natural response would be like, yes, in 10 years from now, you will not have that kitchen." but do you need it to be remodeled in the next six months? It's not always the right time. And so when there can be a distinction between time um, that where people can delay kind of the gratification of, you know, kind of um, investing more in in decisions and assets, I think that can be an advantage as well.
1: I think so too. I work with a number of physicians and uh, I've talked about this in other talks, which is one of the successful or one of the attributes of successful positions when it comes to money is when they're coming out of residency, they live like residents for as long as possible. They don't hurry to upgrade into the larger home, the nicer cars, the vacation homes, et cetera. They continue to live with that level of frugality that they did when they were residents. So to your point, they really extend that timeline.
0: It's extraordinary. There, There's a certain phase in life where you kind of have the tipping point where you become an accumulator, hopefully, because your earning power is kind of, coming home and you've you've also paid for some of those like cost of admission things that you have in your 20s and 30s student debt or just getting you know your house established and things like that and so if you can delay the gratification just five or ten years into that accumulation phase you can get so far ahead of the game um, that it, it's not saying that over a 40 year period, you're going to really like suppress your quality of life. It's actually, you're, you're kind of investing in quality of life in your forties and fifties.
1: So you're really talking about patience, which we talked about a little bit before, Yeah. Um, We had a conversation earlier um, and I, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. But the other thing that this reminds me of as we're having this conversation is because we're talking about, okay, you know, don't do this just because your colleague maybe bought the bigger house or, you know, upgraded. You have to know what your own personal benchmark is. And I think it's so important to not compare yourself to others. And we, we all do it you know, whether it's our first day at tennis (laughs) and we're comparing (laughs) ourselves to the people on the court who've been playing tennis for five years uh, or longer. Uh, We do it financially. We do it, you know, in our careers, a number of different ways. And I think what I've observed with clients who have done well is they disregard a lot of that. They recognize that what works for, you know, their buddy or their brother-in-law might not be what's best for them. They have a true sense of their own, North Star, their own personal benchmarks, and they are working towards those. They don't waste time comparing themselves
2: to others. I give them a lot of credit for that. I think another characteristic that I see in a lot of my clients is curiosity. Always taking that time to think what else is there, what other opinions, and really use me as a sounding board. So I want to purchase a vacation home. Let's talk about how am I going to do that? Or I want to help fund a grandchild's college savings account. What are the best opportunities for me to do that? And I think the curiosity lends back into that not comparable. It's more staying focused on your own life, your own decision making, and how those decisions affect your quality of life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so curiosity is a big one. It's a good one.
0: I love that. And you're articulating that the clients are talking about goals. So they're, they are having the pause or the moment of forethought to say, it would be lovely if I could contribute to my grandchild's college education, or I would love, I would love our family to have a vacation home. And instead of, Something happening, and then calling you and saying, "Hey, we bought a vacation home. I need to come up with a down payment." Yep, exactly. There is first that forethought of this would be nice, and then bouncing the idea off of the you know the relation. If if it's a couple, the re- within the relationship and within the professional you know conversations that are appropriate, whether it's an attorney or CPA, and of course the financial planner. If there can be a pause and some planning time within there. Then that obviously, it, to me, is the elements of a more um, evolved financial decision maker.
1: Yeah, actually, when I, what I heard from what you were describing, Sarah, is what I would consider engagement. Okay, they are using you as a sounding board, which is what you are there for. They are—they have a situation, they have a new problem, or they have a new goal, and they're coming to you and saying, hey, can we talk about this, as opposed to what Melissa described, which is, oh, by the way, we already made this major life decision, and no, we didn't consider that all of our assets are Uh, tax qualified. And we're going to have to now make this huge withdrawal because that's our only option right now that's liquid. And we're going to have to pay all this money in taxes. And no, we didn't really think about that because no, we didn't consult you. So uh, the engagement part is, uh, that's what I heard is they're using you as a sounding board. They're um, thinking ahead and helping you Kind of shepherd them through that process. And ultimately, you know, I always tell clients, like it's ultimately it's your your money, it's your decision, but the process is where
2: we bring value to the how table. do we get there?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think for those clients too, it's not so much a fear of failure, it's accepting past failures and understanding that. I don't want to repeat that, you know. Not ever. I think everybody makes poor financial decisions at some point in their life. I think we can all say we, we would all. Whoa! Well, I would take that back if I could. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the with the engagement and the curiosity and the goal setting, and so for clients to have that presence to say this is what I want, let me utilize resources to get there, um, but not having the fear, I feel like that's a fearless approach versus I'm just going to do it and put my head under the covers and hope that it all works out. Right. right. Um, Maybe Sarah will tell me I can't do it. Or
1: maybe Sarah will
2: tell me no, is
1: I think also tied into that fear. You know, maybe she's going to tell me something I don't want to hear.
2: Right. But how many times have you had clients sort of jokingly say they didn't do something with the excuse of my financial advisor told me it's like they make us the bad guy. And I'm the joke in my office is I'm the bad cop. And so that's fine for me to be like, sure, blame it on me. If it's something uncomfortable that you don't really want to tell this person, no, obviously not your spouse, but, um, I don't, you know, I don't want to go on that vacation because I really don't want to spend the money on it. Not that I don't have the money but that wasn't a goal of mine. I want to do something different, but it's uncomfortable to say, "No, Karen, I don't want to go on your cruise. My financial advisor told me I can't afford it."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've had several Oh say yeah, that. definitely. <laughs> Definitely.
0: Yeah. It's okay to make your financial planner, your bad cop. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, we, if we were talking just about investing, just about buy and sell decisions, we would say, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. I think that when you can build in a margin of safety into your financial life, just like you said, so that everything doesn't have to be optimized and everything, all the stars don't have to be aligned for everything to work out. You know, that's what we preach with super boring things like saving and having emergency reserves, or, you know, when you're on your best day thinking about what would happen if something gone went wrong, you know, making sure your insurances are in place, you know, managing your risk in your life and, and kind of balancing all of those, the complexity of multiple, you know, risks that there are, well, that's not easy But it's certainly an element that we see with the persistently successful financial deciders. Mm
2: -hmm. And figuring out how do you have that quality of life that you want um, without making sacrifices or without it feeling like I'm making a sacrifice. I had young clients recently have a second child. So they purchased a new car, a larger car, and they're looking at purchasing a larger home. And her comment to me was, well, we didn't, we we scaled back on the car a little bit, and we're not gonna buy a house for as much as we've pre-qualified for because we wanna keep our life insurance payments going and our Roth IRA contributions going and our college savings going. So they were prioritized, treating their savings as expenses right alongside their debt expenses. And that's really the culmination of all these conversations that we've had over the years and planning. So I think it is possible for people to have what they want without feeling like it's a sacrifice if they're engaged in the planning.
0: Yeah, there's that whole concept of what is enough? Yes. Where do you find contentment? And if you just take external cues, if you just see those social you know the the sports car next door, or the home edition, or your friends moving to a bigger neighborhood. It's easy to get wrapped up into something you really, honestly don't care about. You just it it that's back to that benchmarking thing, Karen,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where you may have somebody else's benchmark that you're using because right. you haven't thought of your own.
1: Yep, exactly. And that's you know one of the first things that I'm sure each of us covers. And in, in the planning process is defining what those benchmarks are, or at least, you know, having those conversations that lead up to that. Um, it's such an important part of the process.
2: So I think another interesting thing when I, most of my new clients come to me th- from referrals through existing clients. So my assumption is they have a general idea of who I am and what it's like to work with me. But I always find it interesting when I'm with a brand new client for the first time and I'm answering their questions and going through. They never ask me any questions about myself. They don't really want to know who I am or, you know, anything. So my advice is always, if you're looking for a new advisor, ask those questions. These are people that you're... Going, going to trust with very important decisions in your life, very um, private information in your life. We and can cover that on
1: your podcast
2: episode. Yeah, let's do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I've been thinking about a blog series, which is like how I make my own financial decisions. And that would lay out like how I invest, which is very similarly to how I invest other people's money. Or, you know, how did I go about debt management, all of those things. Because in, in all of our cases, you know, we're kind of, everything wasn't handed to us. We were, we all got into the financial business in our twenties, but we scraped, you know, got skinned our knees along the way. My um, professional presence versus my personal finances were completely different journey. Um, and in fact, just recently recorded an episode about what we wish we do in our twenties <laughs> <20s> between <laughs> Melissa Friedenberg and me. Um, so, you know that that's a reality. You want to be with someone that you can feel real with, and you don't you don't have to put on a fake exterior when you're asking for, for help and financial decisions. Yep,
1: agree. Good stuff, ladies.
0: Well. I can see that we'll be recording something else in the future, (laughs) hopefully on future, you know, conferences or getaways. Um, But it's been great to sit down with a couple of my best friends who happen to be financial advisors and talk about, you know, the experiences we've shared. So thanks to you both for, for joining. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We hope you enjoy the episode. We'll make sure to include links, Karen and Sarah's podcast in um, show notes. Thank you so much. For more information, visit pearlplan.com or our Facebook page, Pearl Planning Wealth.